I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I think it's like how it's different every day. The sort of pleasure I get from doing the best I can because it's, I mean, it's, it's tiring. There's no one's slapping you on the back at the end of the day. It's more, it's more what you get out of it. So what you basically what you put into it, what you get out of it. You go into work, it's, and it's 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 fun. This is over a glass. I'm Shante Whale. Franco McKenzie has been looking after people in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, for many years. He has earned his place in the top tier of wine professionals in the city. In fact, he was named Vancouver Magazine's 2023 Sommelier of the Year. Today you'll find him pouring wine at Elisa's. It's a steakhouse and he pours some pretty amazing vino. Hi, Franco. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. Oh, I am thrilled that you said yes. It's been an eon since we've spoken, uh, over a decade, and I'm just thrilled that you are, are going to spend a little bit of time with us and that you're drinking some Australian Chardonnay. Well, I had to. I had to. I had to pull something out of my, my cellar for this. <laughs> well, I'm very honoured. Uh, Franco, take us back to your first memory of wine. What got you into this whole business? First memory of wine or the wine industry? Like it's been, I remember drink growing up, oh, there's always wine on the table, right? Dad would have a glass of wine, grandpa would have a glass of wine. You know, they put a little bit of water in it, some ice cubes, and you'd have wine with the family. But the real sort of, you know, everyone has an aha wine. You know, it's like, holy crap, this is amazing. This is wine. It was probably back in... I would say late, early 2000s, maybe it was just, it was just, you know, I always worked in the service industry, but it was just sort of a making means, you know, making money and hanging out and skiing. But it was more of a, you know, I had the 85 uh, salon. Someone handed Ooh. me a glass. Tom is like, here, taste this. And you taste it, you're like, what is this? <laughs> like what what did you just hand me and he's like that's that's champagne that's you know iconic and he's like okay cool so literally the next night the same guest came back in and they had the 88 salon and they handed me a glass and i tasted it i'm like and i was hooked it was just unbelievable right you're like how can wine be this is you know back then it was like early 2000s so that was you know your 15 year old champagne you're like holy crap how is this so good so, yeah, that was my sort of aha wine, aha wines, I guess. But yeah, it was incredible. Gosh, and I mean, starting with Salon, you really, uh, you raised the bar quite high, didn't you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I am a little spoiled. So. <laughs> I love that. So you decided perhaps that this was something that interested you. How did you go about, you know, getting into hospitality? And what was that the first job that you kind of took? I've been in hospitality probably forever. When I was 16, um, I needed some cash, and I was, you know, a kid growing up in, in Ontario, and so I was a, I was a dishwasher for a couple, a couple, uh, couple months, which is the hardest job in a restaurant. If you've ever <laughs> done it or watched you work, those guys are crazy hard workers. But yeah, I worked as a dishwasher for a bit. Didn't really like it, and then uh, went back to school. Like I was in high school. And the next summer, I got offered a job as a busboy at a, my friend's Mexican restaurant. And that was just the, the start of it. Just the people and it's just high, high octane, super busy. And I love the, love the pace and love the people and, you know, the people we work with. And it's always, it's always fun. Yeah, we were just, 
discussing earlier just about how there's nothing quite like the rush and adrenaline and um, set of skills that you acquire in a restaurant and certainly at the pace that it runs. You Tell me about your first position at Araxi because was that kind of the start of a, a, a professional career in hospitality? Yeah, that, that was definitely the, the step up. I, I worked at other like casual places that were service was not really the you know, is more just getting people fed, right? Then then moved to Araxi and that's where, you know, sort of learned learned more of the, the proper service of wine, proper service of food. It was sort of it built from there and it was it was it was amazing. Like people people that were working there were so just understanding that realized that this was my real first, you know, real first proper service job. And it was just learned so much from these people. So it was great. Mm. Australians know Araxi, I think, mostly because of um, because of Whistler. And I apologise in advance for some of the Australians that you do meet in Whistler because you tend to get the, <laughs> the worst of them. <laughs> um, but you know, Araxi has a wonderful reputation and is and is also part of the top table group, which you now will continue to work for. Tell me a little bit about. Um, your time at West Restaurant, uh, you were there from 2007 to 11, 2011, around about? 11, yeah. So it was, uh, when I was in seven, moved from Worcester to Vancouver. I thought, you know, let's time to, time to grow up, stop being a ski bum, and, and then really <laughs> sort of focus on, on if I want to make that next step. And so to basically started taking wine courses in, you know, 2007, 2008, uh, you know, did my W set working at West uh, just started my W set working at West and working with Corey and working with Owen who actually still works for top table. You know, those guys are like, once again, you know, these guys are all professionals in there. They want, they want to see people do their best. And it was, you know, I'd learned every, every day I went into work, I learned something, whether it was from Hawk or from Corey or from Owen or it was, it was awesome. It was such mm. a great place to, build your knowledge because that's what it, that's what it is you're building you're building your knowledge it's same with wine right you need to build that sort of repertoire and you can't just jump into it right you need something you need some experience so uh, absolutely um to fill in the listeners we actually met at working at west restaurant or back in the day but why i wanted to bring that up was because we have quite a different system in hospitality than you do in canada and what i was absolutely blown away by when I started at West was I was very junior. I'd worked at, you know, one fine dining restaurant before, but it was in America. And I couldn't believe that every single senior waiter there had the wine knowledge that they did. Um, Their cocktail, their spirit knowledge, the drink knowledge and the food knowledge was at like another level that I'd never experienced before. And I, it was thanks to yourself and Corey and How Young and David um, that, and Owen, that I couldn't believe I was like who are these people and how do they know so much about absolutely everything and then you know the the passion that you would show when you'd talk about a wine when you'd sit down and we'd count the tips out was what hooked me in and I was like I want to do this one day and look it took me a long time to to get to that level um but just incredible that the passion that everybody showed and I think it says a lot about Canadian hospitality as well that when you do something you really throw yourselves right into it yeah, absolutely. It, it becomes more than just a job because it's like, it's you know, you want to have something worthwhile to do. And, and it's, for me, mentorship is, is a big part of what I'm trying to do now. It, but it's same, like, that's what I was shown when I was coming up and learning. And there's no sense of, you know, I'm better than you. You know, there's no sense of rivalry. It's more of a, it's a team. You're, you're a team. 
you're, you know, if you guys want to, if the restaurant wants to succeed, you need to be a team because you make money, I make money, the restaurant makes money. There's no, if there's, if it's all mercenaries, then you're, it doesn't, it doesn't work. The restaurant doesn't last. There's, the servers don't last. You lose, you know, there's no sort of growth in the, in the place. So it's, it's really nice to see that sort of mentorship in the program and what I want to do with at Elisa because it's, it's, it meant so much to me and I think I want to pass that along, right? Mm. I always remember fondly as well that you had a, a really good relationship with um, some of the, the kind of busboys and the people that um, I think that I, I can't even remember the terminology now, but the other people that kind of, you know, were there to kind of reset tables for you. And you always um, had a really strong relationship with the, the everybody that you worked with. And I, and I always admired that. Well, yeah, it's it, like I said, it's part of the team here. It's if I look at it, if there's a, the essay it's called the server assistant essays if they were if they have a choose a table to to set right they would pick the people that were nice to them like they're <laughs> they're they're young kids right they they're not impressionable but they're 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 there to help and they they want to be part of the team and you know if they help out someone that they like it's it's makes them closer knit and not that they wouldn't help anyone else out, but I'm saying they're if they're making a choice but it, it's the same thing as like I said before it's it's showing people you know that teamship and that's you know team building and you want to be part of our team and it's it's just it's easier to easier to work with someone that likes you and have fun with and someone that's you know sort of not want to be there and not part of the the team i know you get more with a carrot than you with a stick i think yeah <laughs> well said now you helped open Hawksworth when it opened and I, that was uh, opening just as I was leaving. Um, so in 2011, and then you became head sommelier in 2016. What was that process like of kind of rising, helping to open a restaurant and rising into the ranks of, of the head sommelier? Well, it was, um, it was amazing. Great place to work. So it was uh, started there as a, as a junior, junior psalm, just sort of these guys that were there were just like the best, basically the best psalms in Vancouver were working at the restaurant. And they're like, you can be a junior psalm and learn from us, pour some glass, pour some wines by the glass. So you can't really do much else because you're not kind of qualified. So I was just finishing my diploma. And those, once again, these guys are just amazing. So they, every, every cool bottle they would open, we would taste. Like here, taste this, taste this, taste. You just taste, we would taste 50 wines a night. And it just built and built and built and built. And finally, after time, we're like, you know what? You know enough about the list that you can maybe go out there and, and pour some wines for our tasting menu. So, you you know, you'd get your tasting menu, you'd learn the wine, you'd learn the, learn the dish, and then sort of just built from there, you know. And by the end of it, it was, you know, I was doing all the tasting well with the agents, and then I would make my suggestions, the purchasing suggestions, and then the, the wine director would decide which ones to put on the list. It was great because the wines he didn't want on the list, he would tell me why. You know, okay, this wine is too similar to this wine, or this wine is, we've got, we already have a wine like that. We already have a wine that's priced there. So it was really, really, like, once again, learning from, like, the best. Like, it was incredible. Hmm. I mean, in terms of just saying that you just said that um, you were finishing a diploma and you were still a junior psalm, like, that kind of blows my mind because by that stage, you know, your wine knowledge is, is really high. So it goes to show, you know, just how important it is to kind of have that rite of passage till, you know, there's a certain level that you can step up and say, okay, now you're, you're, you know, more qualified, but it's not just, you know, knowledge about all wines. It's also knowledge of the list and the, and the restaurant you're working at, isn't it? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Because you need to know, well, you need to know producers, you need to know vintage, you need to, you know, everyone's just graduating and gets their diploma, so much knowledge, they work so hard to get it. But you, that's, for me, that's just the start. Like, you know what I mean? You need to learn, you need to learn producers, you need to learn, you know, within that, you know, vintage variation, you know what I mean? And being able to taste all these really cool wines you won't be able to taste anywhere else. Right, so you have to start building that Rolodex. I call it a Rolodex, like a mental Rolodex of, of wines you've tasted, right? So that's sort of, is this a good bottle? Is this a bad bottle? Because nowadays, wine is getting crazy expensive, mm. right? So you coming up, you do your diploma, how often do you get to taste first growth? How often do you get to taste, you know, Grand Cru Burgundy nowadays? Mm. You, you don't unless you work in a place that opens them, right? So you need to build that repertoire. So you get handed a bottle, you have to know what it is how to treat it, how to make, is it a good bottle? Is it faulted? Is it, you know, you have all those things that race through your head as you're opening it. And you got just, you don't get that by writing an exam. (laughs) No, you certainly don't. There's definitely so much to learn in the field. Tell me about your first moment um, when you got the position of head sommelier. Do you have a moment that you remember, you know, feeling really proud or, or where you kind of pinched yourself and was like, oh my God, I'm in charge of this now? Um, not really. It was more of a, like I said, it was such a team. We had such a great, like, SOM team at, at Hawksworth. It was, it was amazing. You know, we would do blind tastings. We would, you know, you know, you'd be humbled because you got it wrong. And then there would be no, there'd be no mocking. No, you know, they'd, you'd learn stuff. It, it's, it, I didn't feel like their boss. That's what, that's probably the biggest thing. Cause it was, I wasn't really, it was more of a team thing. I was just the one that had the title. It was, you know, <laughs> it's such a tea. It was such everyone that works there right now is either a buyer or a head som at another restaurant or one director at another restaurant. So it's it's really cool. <laughs> That's probably the most Canadian response of anything I've ever heard. But um, incredibly humble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's true though. In that, in that instant, everyone, literally everyone there that I work with is either a wine director or, a, you know, yeah or buyer for someone. Well, yeah, that, that just goes to show how amazing that, that, um, the leadership and, and the team spirit is because you've produced wonderful wine professionals that then elevate the rest of the city, which is rich, really exciting. But I want to talk a little bit about Elisa's because you have over 6,000 bottles. That blew my mind when I first read that. And uh, I was almost late to the podcast because I was, um, I don't know, page 63 of your wine list. And um, yeah, completely just, I can just lose myself looking at a list. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, it was it was fun building that list. It's it is fun building that. It's it's always changing, which I like. Um, you know, I taste wines like I taste literally fifty wines a day. So you taste and you add wines, you take off wines. It was, and I was told to have like they literally said, "kid in the candy store," because our owners do have you know our backing. And they wanted to build a world class wine list. That was their their mandate. Was we're going to open a restaurant. It's going to be the best steakhouse in the city, and we want to have a world-class wine list. Can you do that? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no pressure. But yeah, so it's it's like zero pressure. And in, in BC, it's really hard to get some of these producers. So it's, it's it's you know, it takes months and months and months and to get these wines into the province. And, and it's it's been a journey. Like it's been, you know, when, I op- when we opened, I was asking about wines, and they're literally just getting back into the market now. So it's... It's a, it's definitely a big process here, but it was 
it's it is so much fun. That was it is so much fun because it's always changing and unique. Talk to me a little bit about balancing, you know, your local British Columbia wines and Canadian wines for that matter, um, and also your international offering. Well, it's BC wines. They're honestly getting a little expensive for what they're, and they I honestly think they have to be careful with their pricing because now you're competing with the rest of the world, right? With when they reach a certain price, um, the wines are, are getting a lot better. Their quality is like, and literally in the last ten years, their their quality has at least doubled. But it's still because of the pricing is it's harder to someone's going to come in and want a a Gruner from either BC or from Austria and they're the same price Mm -hmm. really hard to and you know it's it's when the quality is a little better in Austria it's hard for me as a professional to say listen you should drink the BC because you're from BC I want them to have the best wine possible for the money so it's it's what would I what would I go to so it's 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 really hard. Some of the producers are they're friends of mine, and I'm and I tell them, uh, your prices. Some of them are, are too high. I'm like, well, I get it. it. It costs a lot of money to make wine, especially in Canada. But it, they, I think they need to they need to be careful with their pricing. Otherwise, the, the wines are incredibly delicious. Um, I love you know BC wines, and I think that we don't see a lot here in Australia. The last time I tried um, a wine with from BC was when DJ Kearney was out and she brought some wine, but it's been a long time since I've seen some of them. And um, looking through your list, I was just having a little laugh because I, I remember doing a blending um, blending class that I think you invited me to, and it was through Laughingstock Vineyards. And um, I know that they got sold, but it's nice to see that you've got their little Pinot Gris by the glass. I just went, oh my gosh, they're still around and that's fantastic. But um, you've got a great representation in particularly by the glass um, on your list. And, and it's really nice to see some of those local wines. What's, you know, when your guests come in, is it kind of 80% international, you know, 20% local? What, what are people drinking? We, or, or what are they drinking or what, what, what are our guests? Like, are they? Yeah, what are your guests drinking? What are our guests drinking? They're drinking, I a lot of them are asking for, because we've literally in the last five years, we've built a great team and they literally ask our, what should I drink? What, you know, this is what I like. This is my budget. What should I drink? So it's, it's, we take them all over. So they, they're drinking, you know, we, we bring them what they want, but we're taking them all over. They, we bring them, you know, if they want something local, we'll take them local. If they want something international, we'll take them international. It's sort of, we sell a lot of, we don't, actually don't sell a ton of, of BC wines in general, but the ones we do, we try to have the best wines available for them because it's, for me, it's, it's, it matches my list. And, and tell me in terms of, because essentially you are a very modern version of a kind of a steakhouse, in terms of kind of the wines from BC, someone comes in and they're having a delicious, juicy T-bone or, you know, sirloin, you know, where would you go and in terms of kind of drinking BC wine with some of those kind of meatier dishes. What what what's a suggestion? Just just out of interest because you know we have a, a lot of Australians that that travel that way, and it'd be nice to know kind of what they should be looking for. Because of our climate, I would probably steer away from Cabernet because it's long ripening and takes a takes a lot to get there. I would do a blend, probably a Merlot blend, or actually Cab Franc or Syrah. Both those grow, grapes grow really well in BC, so I would probably do Cab Franc because I like the savoriness of freshness that 
that's in there. And you still get a nice, nice robust, you know, a little bit of punch to it. So it's, I would probably lean towards Cap Franc. Hmm. I love, I love Cabernet Franc. And it, it is, um, norm, normally for me, it's a bit of a hand sell. Um, either people, you know, they religiously drink the kind of Loire styles and they love them or, or it sometimes is a bit of a, a hand sell. Do you still refer to some of your blends as Meritage blends? I don't. No, no. They're just, <laughs> they're just, they're just blends. It's there very, very few wineries have a Meritage blend now. They're more blends because they they decided you know we need to add we need to add something else besides the the, the grapes that are in a meritage. They need oh my god I need to add I need that straw or I need that you know tea for dough to make it a little bit bigger or they're because it kind of limits what you can put in it if you want to actually label it meritage. Tell me about you know the importance of how you consider food and the the lo- location of your food where it's grown the providence. Um, for me, it was something that really. Um, took me by surprise, pleasantly took me by surprise in Vancouver that everybody is so ingrained in where their food comes from, why, who grows it. Um, tell me the importance of knowing the menu and knowing the flavors when it comes to serving wine in a restaurant. Oh, it's, I think as uh, people go to restaurants for food, like they, very few, very few people come to, to our restaurant looking just for wine, right? So it's, they come in, they know our, our, our food is sourced, like actually our menu um, uh, unless I probably don't try, I haven't seen it, but on the back side of one of our menu inserts list the location of where we source all our meat. So if we, you know, we have a whole scene from California and there's a map of California and shows exactly where it's from. There's a blurb about the producer. So and that, and then everything else on the menu is lists where the, the food is from. So this, you know, this lettuce from Handbook Farms or this, you know, this olive oil is from Spain and they give you the producer. It's, it, I think people want to know where their food comes from because it makes, it makes it, makes there a little more of a connection and that shows that we care, like we care where it comes from. So. Yeah. I mean, m- more than almost, I think any place I visited, I think do Vancouver, Vancouverans? No, what, what we call you? Canucks? I don't know what we call you, but, uh, you know, you care very much about the Providence and, and, and its effect on, on um, you know, the world in general and, and the future of, of sustainability. And I'm talking to someone, you know, Franco, you, who has a hydroponic uh, growing system for your lettuce in your own house. You're right. Absolutely. It's it. Everyone cares. Like, they, it's, I think it's important to, well, because, because we have kids, it's important to know where food comes from. Like it doesn't come from the grocery store. You know what I mean, peas don't come from a can. You know what I mean, it actually, it actually comes from a plant, right? Like so there are some people that don't. You just, you just if you actually live in a big city, you you, you sort of get you, you forget where this stuff comes from. So it's it's for me, it's trying to teach these guys where where it's from and and you know how how hard it is to grow and, and don't take these things for granted because what you know what happens we run out of lettuce one day or the where does it come from so it's for me it's very important to show these guys my kids where you know where it all happens yeah very much so and you're right when you do live in a city it's very easy to forget because it's not part of our daily life to see you know a whole beast being broken down unless you're lucky and you work in a restaurant you might you might get to see that but yeah if you don't know where where food comes from like oh where where does steak where do you know where does steak come from it comes from the fridge (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah. You have no idea. How disturbing. <laughs> well, no, no. But you're like a little kid. is like, it comes from the fridge. Where else would it come from? Yeah. Very true. Tell me a little bit about um, – 
the greater beverage scene in in Vancouver because uh, it is a, a city that's known for some of the most amazing bars, um, wonderful cocktails. Tell me about kind of you know the offering that you have at Elise's um, in terms of the the beverage program other than wine. Oh yeah, these guys, those guys behind the bar, they yeah, it's we try to have items behind the bar like our wine list where no one else has in the city. So if you want to come mm-hmm. in and you want Macallan 30, you can get it. If you want, you know, rare cask, you can get it. Just, just other than spirits, their cocktail program is, it's changes seasonally. And uh, we're actually making a, a spring change this week, but it's cocktails are always evolving for what the guest wants. If someone wants, you know, we're sort of switching a little bit. Uh, we have a couple lower alcohol cocktails going on the list, um, which people have, you know, asked about, um, and it's always evolving to what people want because you could you can't force people to drink stuff they don't want because it's it just doesn't work that way. Mm. Yeah, very true. I don't think I've known a city that um, has such an amazing uh, bar slash wood culture of going and sitting and chatting to bartenders and the magic that they can create while they're talking to you and you know. 20 other people um, and serving them drinks at the same time. Where do you drink at when you're in the city? What do you do after service? I'm sure that you probably go home and sleep, but if you were to go out, where would you be going? Wow. Um, that's a tough one. I'd literally just come home and go to bed because it's been, it's these last, like I said, when, since we opened to like recently, it's been non-stop at a restaurant um if i was to go out i would probably go to homer street and have a have a nice cold beer uh or when i get home i'll have a big bourbon mm. just a yeah a bourbon drinker yeah yeah i think i knew that yeah bur- yeah it's so good <laughs> but yeah if i went out yeah it's probably homer street because it's literally right there uh yeah probably that's the only place i really have been recently Sometimes we go to Blue Water Cafe, which is right, literally right across the street from our, but it's our sister restaurant, so I try not to go in there too often. <laughs> it's hard sometimes though, isn't it? When you just think, oh, I just am craving some of their gorgeous seafood and I just <laughs> really Exactly. <laughs> Franco, when you talk about, um, you know, the list, what are you really passionate about on your wine list? I can see that your grower champagne or your champagne list is pretty sexy. And I know that you've always had um, a love of, of bubbles, but what else are you really passionate about um, in terms of, of some of those pages on your wine list? Uh, probably burgundy, red and white. They just, they just work so well with a lot of our food. So we have, a, we have a, even though we're a steakhouse, we do have a lot of seafood options. So white burgundy is, it drinks so well with, with some of those things. And then red burgundy, if you don't want, it works with, especially if you have a table of five or six people, they're a whole lot of different thing. We do have some grilled fish on the menu. Burgundy just works so well with all those items. So it's, it's, mm. yeah, those are, that's my, it's probably the biggest section other than California Cabernet, which is, I have to have because it's a steakhouse, but those are my, those are my big areas because when we were opening our, the president of the, the company is like no one drinks burgundy at a steakhouse and then those are our, literally our two biggest well other than cali cab two biggest sellers in the restaurant so mm. and if no no one else drinks it we certainly will drink it won't we oh my god yeah. <laughs> 
the prices are crazy that like my mind boggles in, in Australia we have to pay a, a 29% what we call wet tax which is an import tax um, which is, is huge when it comes to yeah looking at prices for burgundy and I was having a little look at yours and just swooning <laughs> yeah it's it, even in, in BC it's it's one is super hard to find but the price has gone like through the roof like it's one producer literally doubled in one year. One because they're becoming super popular, Bernard Bonin, and secondly because it's it's that's what they're charging now. And there's that lack of ability to just make more wine, isn't there? Because there's only so much you can do with you know low yielding grapes. Yeah, I'm always feeling um, at a kind of you know torn between wanting to shout from the rooftops about some producers and then wanting to not tell anybody just to keep the prices down and <laughs> allow myself to be able to still buy some <laughs> yeah but that's the rest of the world is already going if you're if you're liking something someone else is loving it and you know it's not you can't keep stuff secret i wish we could so many producers damn it price so true. Franco, tell me a little bit about your impressions of Australian wine. And you do have some great representations on the list. What are Canadians, you know, what is their impressions of Australian wine and what do they want to drink from Australia? Um, I think there's two peop- two types that they, they have that sort of, unfortunately, the, the big, bold, brash Australian reds and whites, which is unfortunate because that's not, ex- not anything of what's coming out of the country now. Um, you know, there's so many great Chardonnay producers and Pinot Noir producers and it's, yeah, they, people are leaning towards lighter, fresher, brighter wines, which are exactly what Australia is doing. So it's, it's fun speaking to those people when I, you know, I'm like, people ask me, what should I drink? And I, I suggest in Australia, like, oh no, too big, too big. I'm like, trust me, just try this. And they're, they're, they're like, oh my God, it's like, it's like burgundy but cheaper i'm like yes (laughs) that's good to hear because it it is hard depending on what's imported into the country um you know some of the smaller guys don't always have you know as good representation and it's interesting always to hear kind of or to see what what people are listing and and um and what people want to drink and i think you're drinking um you're drinking a little chardonnay at the moment is that right yeah Yeah, the merrick's vineyard they're small like it's what we get here all the good stuff is it gets snapped up real quick and it's and it's gone and then nothing comes for like two vintages like Kuyong or Sorenberg or you know all the all the fun stuff it just 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 disappears you know 10 minutes by tractor all that stuff just literally three six packs will arrive and it's gone hmm yeah we do tend to drink a lot of our own wine and so the you can blame us a little bit for that, but um, you know, to those labels that you mentioned, there is a need, so they need to um, they need to consider that, and uh, it's good to know that, uh, especially. I mean, Sorenberg. I don't want to share that with anybody, so. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, it's like literally, I think four or six packs of Chardonnay came to BC this year. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing for how big. PC is and, and how many incredible restaurants you have. Franco, what do you love every day about your job? What keeps you still working on a restaurant floor, still running around, you know, busy beyond belief, um, working, I don't know how many hours you work. Um, what do you love about it? I think it's like how it's different every day, you know, and the, the sort of pleasure I get from doing the best I can because it's, 
I mean, it's, it's tiring. There's no one's slapping you on the back at the end of the day. It's more, it's more what you get out of it. So what you basically what you put into it, what you get out of it. So you go into work. It's and it's 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 fun. Like it's it's challenging. It's it's you know, it's just, there's never an end to it, which I like. Yeah, it is different every day because people are different every day, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. There can be some absolutely. of the best parts and some of the most frustrating parts too, because you think you know somebody, you think you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that can be tough. It's it's difficult sometimes, but. Most, for the most part, the ninety-nine point nine percent of the people that come in, they're amazing. They, they, they love it. They, you know, then they're going to come back. Yeah, right? absolutely. With service like you provide, I'm sure they they definitely will. I want to ask you. Uh, at West, there was a gentleman, and I'm ashamed because I've forgotten his name. But he used to come in on his own quite a lot. He would always drink excellent. He would drink Burgundy or. Um, Piedmont, Barolo, and he'd only ever have a glass and he'd always leave us the rest of the bottle. Um, do you remember his name? Oh, yeah. I don't remember his name. I know exactly who you're he talking about. He was the about. most incredible guest and he just had so much joy. He would come in and he would order more food than he ever needed. Um, he'd order a cocktail of some kind, whatever the bartender wanted to make, and then he'd order, you know, a beautiful bottle of white burgundy, an amazing bottle of red burgundy. He'd have a glass each and then he'd leave us the rest. And I'll never forget on one of our staff parties, he came in the night before and he ordered for four of his friends and they drank amazing champagne and burgundy all night. And then he asked, did you guys get to try some of the wines? And we said, oh, you know, I think Owen, the sommelier, got to have a sip. And then he said, yeah, you know, we checked that they weren't cork. And he, and then he called up that night and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so rude. Make sure that you charge me for two bottles of everything I had tonight and you guys drink them on your staff party. Yeah, he was I, – I, I can picture his face. I don't remember his name, though. Yeah, he was he- – yes. Isn't that terrible? Oh, I just always thought about him. I just thought well, that gentleman was just the most generous and kind man and it was such a pleasure to look after him. I had lots of fond memories about him. I'll have to ask Christy. She might know. Anyway, Franco, we're at that point where I want to ask if you've only got three drinks to you, your desert island or three drinks on the last night on earth, what are you going to drink and why? Uh, I would drink uh, paper planes because uh, they're easy to make. You can batch them in an algae and you can take them wherever you want to go. Paper planes? I, I, I don't know what that is. Paper planes a cocktail. It's uh, equal parts bourbon, Aperol, uh, Amaro, and uh, lemon juice. Ooh, that sounds delicious. All the things I love. Is absolutely delicious. Shaken over ice, strained. It's amazing. Because, uh, yeah, it's, we batched them in an algae and you can quickly make lots. I would uh, also, what else would I drink? I would drink white burgundy. I don't think I'd pick a producer because they're all the ones I have in my cellar are all delicious. And then uh, a mixture's bourbon because it's just, it's a touch sweet. It, uh, it just, for me, it's, it, for me, it's perfect bourbon because it's, it's, it has that sweetness and that toastiness and yeah, probably that. Mm. And it's a sipper, isn't it? When you've got really good bourbon, you can just sit and kind of, yeah. Exactly. But it's, yeah, so good. 
Mm. Well, three really interesting drinks. I'm a little ashamed that I didn't know about this cocktail, but that's why I'm speaking to you because I get to learn new things. <laughs> Franco, it's been such a joy to reconnect with you, to hear all about what's happening over in Vancouver. And congratulations on being Vancouver Magazine's 2023 sommelier extraordinaire that is really something you should be proud of and I was just so thrilled to see your face beaming um, from that photo and I, I was just yeah made me all warm and cuddly inside thanks very much it's it yeah it's 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 so great to be included with all the people that have won it before it's just it, like Owen's won it uh, you know some other friends uh, friend Bryant has won it it's all these people that I know have, have won this award so it's kind of nice to be included in that in that list oh, well no doubt you worked your bottom off to get there and um yeah it's it's lovely to see that acknowledgement but thank you for your time today uh it's been a pleasure and i hope that we get to speak another time even better if we get to see each other in the flesh you never know the wine community does tend to come together uh on junkets and things so you never know that'd be amazing i need to get to australia <laughs> you definitely do and i can show you some more of these producers that you can't get your hands on <laughs> Thanks. Uh, bring home with me. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Franco. Cheers to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Over a Glass Pod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.